0: Hey guys, welcome back to the File Effect. This is Jordan with Live School, and this week's episode is all about behavior support. We're going, to, we're going to be joined by Ms. Dee Newburn. She's the Chief Student Support Officer for Fayette County Public Schools in Lex, Kentucky. She's going to give us a wealth of information on things like PBIS, SEL, school safety, and she's going to give us some great details on how restorative practices can work in your school. We're going to talk about how to support students, how our administrators can support teachers better, how district support offices can support our administrators better. We're going to talk about how you can create a better community through your school system. I think you're going to enjoy Have a great day. Happy listening.
1: No time, no tools, big expectations. How do you transform school culture without derailing the train? Answer, little wins that bring big changes. The flywheel effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself.
0: Hello and welcome, and happy to be back on the Flywheel Effect this week. This week we have a very special guest. We have uh, Miss Dee Dee Newburn. She is the Chief Student Support Officer of Fayette County Public Schools. Uh, For those that you don't know your geography, that is Lexington, Kentucky. Um, And those that know the know kind of the show and you you listen on a regular basis, I talk a lot about behavior and PBIS. And um, you may not know this, but I learned most of that from from Didi here. So I'm really happy she came on. Um, she's one of the better uh, student sports speakers I've ever heard. So I'm really happy she's here with us to share some of all the, some of the knowledge she's got and some of the good work she's doing in Lexton. Um, Didi, Dee Dee, anything you'd like to add before we get going?
1: First, I just want to thank you for that compliment, Jordan. I don't take it lightly that the work we do has a um, butterfly effect. And I love the idea that even when you don't know you're making a difference for somebody in this work, um, you are. And that's just really exciting for me. So thank you so much for even the compliment.
0: Yeah. So if if, if you listen to last week's episode, I had um, Kim Wood on. She's a... Uh, a district PBIS coach, um, uh, behavior specialist in, in California, and then we talked a lot about like uh, like cohorts and them do them them having PDs and in, in their in their county there in a, a, a Placer County, I believe, is where it was at. And I, I mentioned you know, a lot of things I learned was from being one of those cohorts. I was I was I was sitting in a room once a month taking notes from DD So I'm really happy she's on here talking to us. Um, we're going to talk about that term uh, student support a lot. We're going to talk about school support and. How we can best, how we can improve behavior in schools, and how, how best we can improve, you know, the kind of you know, teaching, and how we can make our schools have a better culture. That's what we talk about a lot here on this show. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask you, because we talked about your your job title and, and what you do, for listeners like in smaller districts or even larger districts that are just looking to improve, can you define what student support means and give a couple examples that of things that your department provides to the folks in Lexington?
1: Yes, so student support looks different across our country. Um, From district to district, you're going to see different elements and uh, almost um, programming that goes into a student support office. In Lexington, here in Fayette County, our student support really encompasses all things behavior. That is not special ed. So we're really looking at that student who has not been identified for um, special ed services, but still requires some level of support through a behavior or MTSS multiple tiers of uh, systems process. We also have a lot of mental health services provided through our student support lens, as well as social emotional learning. We couple all of those things into a space where we look at how can we take the strategies and supports that are out there within those three areas and use them to remove barriers to instruction? Because for us, it always goes back to why are we here? And kids are in school to learn. And so what we're really looking for as we put student support services together in our department is how are we making sure we're removing the barriers that um Take kids from being in those seats, learning the math, learning the reading, working through pre-calculus, um, so that they can get their academic outcomes that we're looking for within the school environment.
0: Yeah. So these are the kind of things that I think maybe a decade ago, maybe were an afterthought, or maybe they were taken for granted. And I personally, I feel like going going forward. It's, it's almost impossible to do school without this kind of work. What do you think?
1: It really is. I feel like um, even if we look back to the times that we were in school, um, when kids exhibited, exhibited uh, behaviors that would have them removed for class, it was like you just didn't see them anymore. And you just didn't really understand if there was something that was happening to help them change those behaviors. As we see the structure of school have to look different, we really have to start to look at what is our support level in making sure we're helping to instruct a whole child and not just the academic components that come with being in school. Ultimately, and Jordan, you've heard me say this before, we're building citizens. So when you think about Our goals within school, it's got to go beyond just being able to complete a test or just being able to show that you can read. We are building the people who will work in the nursing homes. We are helping to instruct the people who will take our orders at restaurants. Our future senators, our future representatives, they're in our classrooms. And if we are not engaging that whole child piece around how do you care for others? How do you make sure that you collaboratively work well? How do you support not just others in being a caring person, but how do you support yourself in self-management and being able to think about our buzzword this year, self-care and what we're doing to make sure that we're okay? All of that has to start at a very young age, right from those preschool age, as we're building up the citizens and the future of our country.
0: And not to mention that, but you're, you're probably also talking to the, f- the future teachers in your room, too. And, exactly.
1: and how you deal
0: with these things is going to impact how they deal with them down the road. Um, exactly. I'm,
1: and we've seen um, just through um, the last couple of years and the support that we're providing for our students. We see the need for that in our teachers as well. So when you talk about we're teaching our future teachers, we're also teaching our teachers to utilize some of these new skills that they're learning as they teach their teachers, teach their students. For themselves, because even that self management and collaborative part, part, Jordan, you've been a teacher. Think about how we've changed over the years from the closed door mentality to the PLC mentality. Well, if you don't have collaboration skills that come through learning social emotional learning and those components that we know, then how are you going to be a part of that PLC process within your own school community?
0: Oh, it's. Um, I mean, just to talk about teaching for a second, the the you can you can kind of tell the folks who don't have those those skills because like they get real closed off in those meetings. They're 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 tough to collaborate with, and those folks that learn those things, they're you know very open door and they they want to help, and and things get better because of it. Yes. So you, you mentioned SEL and a few things there. There are. I, I want to go jump into like. There's a lot of like. You mentioned buzzwords. There's many, many programs, initiatives out there that deal with student engagement, school safety, mental health. I mean, all all these things are stuff are stuff that's that are tough and they're they're big deals and they're big rocks for for districts all around the country. Um, if you got to pick one, and which one has the biggest impact on students?
1: That's so hard. <laughs> Um, because there are a lot of good things out there. And let me say this um, just from the start. I'm not a program person. So in my um, growing up as a teacher and, and working in education, I've always found that there are components from many different programs programs that may work to make a well-rounded instructional system for kids, whether you're talking about academic instruction or social instruction. However, there are some key strategies that I think we have to consider whenever we're even looking at programs to make sure that they're incorporated. For me, the biggest impact strategy right now in this world of SEL, mental health, PBIS, violence prevention, if I had to bring it all together, I would talk about restorative practices. Um, It's really huge for me because it pulls in all of those elements that we're talking about um, through a PBIS framework. So when we're talking about positive behavior intervention and supports and we're talking about the framework of that and building out a climate and culture, restorative practices fits right in there because it focuses on building strong relationships, not just with students, but with other adults. It focuses on accountability and how we as educators are accountable for how we treat children, just as children are accountable for how they treat their teachers and their other classmates. It brings in families, parents, community members to really talk about the role we all play in educating our ch- children and how we restore relationships when there has been harm done is all about what that initial relationship and commitment to educating students looks like together. And so for me, that's one of the strategies and and I'm sure There are programs that you know say, oh, we teach you all the restorative practice things and we'll make sure you have all the components. But if you look at it as this basic practice of building relationships, holding individual accountable, and then bringing that collaborative effort past the school and into the community with parents and families, um, you really get a strategy that digs down to what we are here in school to do. And that is to make sure our community has a positive culture and climate for our children to learn and grow in
0: so I absolutely love that answer and the two things that jump out of me about restorative practices in particular and I, I was a, a practitioner and proponent of it for, for sure um, was the dialogue it creates uh, around situations and it, it does take it takes a little bit more work on the administrator or the teacher part but that work is is it's just well worth it because you end up with in a what I think ends up being a common sense solution. Whereas otherwise, if you're just going by like the chart, like, okay, this happened, we got to do this. Sometimes it doesn't, that doesn't really fit and you may do more harm than good.
1: Exactly. And when you think through motivation, as um, a tool for changing behavior. When you build that dialogue, as you said, and and now's the conversation, you learn more about your students. You learn more about what they're motivated by. And we know, research tells us, you're not gonna change behavior if you're not getting to the root cause and you're not motivating the student to want to do something different. And that's not always done with treasure boxes and (laughs) sticky, you know, oh, a free ticket to the game. There are some kids who they don't want that. But restorative practices brings in that dialogue so you get to know that student more and you start to understand what are they motivated by? What is the root cause of this behavior? And how can I use that motivational piece to address the root cause to look for change in actual behavior, which eventually leads to increased time in the class seats so that they can be learning the instruction for increased academic outcomes?
0: I I found that. The uh, those conversations, particularly when they're they're with your your kids that are harder to reach, it, when you do have those conversations, the next time you have to have it, it's much easier. Like because you because you you by kind of about a you create a relationship with the, with the
1: student. And for our kids, um, they want to know that we care. They want to know that we are listening. And as we grow older, as adults, we forget what that's like. We, we forget what it's like to want to be heard and restorative practices as a strategy. When you're using the tools and resources provided, it forces you to listen, which is crucial for any positive culture and climate.
0: Yeah. So speaking of that, um, and that transitions really well to what I want to ask you next. Um, so kids want to be heard. And here's a here's kind of a chance. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing students today? And how can we help?
1: Well, I, I feel like <laughs> this is my opinion. I don't have any research on this. But the biggest challenge facing students right now is the uh, it's not new. It, it's still the peer pressures around them to be cool and do what's cool. I think the avenue of how they're accessing that peer pressure is the challenge. Social media as a tool has been wonderful for our, our country, our world. Um, but when misused, which it can sometimes be with teenagers, it can become a place where um, we see kids exposed to things that are not necessarily leading them in a, in a positive direction. And I know as a parent, one of the challenges my teenager faces is being able to decipher what's real, what's honest, what she should engage in versus what she should you know self self check that self manage I don't need to be engaging in that and then how do we use this tool in a way that helps to enhance their lives but does not take over it in a way where it starts to cause disruption in their lives and and for me that's a challenge that that the old peer pressure I dealt with as a teenager has that other layer on top of it now, because when I was a kid, I just could not answer the phone if you called me and, and I'd be done with it. But now it's it's in their faces all the time. And and I do see that as a challenge for our students, even when it comes to school.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that's a, that's a challenge for adults, too. Like it, it's, it, it's it's it's. Pretty easy if it's, once it's on your phone to kind of be wrapped up in it. Um, and on a, on a behavior kind of, kind of point on that, just to sort of piggyback what you're saying, you talked about peer pressure. One thing that's, that's come up a couple times on, on this podcast is the idea of, of, of bullying. And bullying's a big, big deal, obviously. And it has a big impact on students. What social media has done is made it harder to identify until like, until you have this big blow up because the bullying doesn't happen like out in the open where you see it. It, It's you've, there's been many, many instances before the big blow up that nobody saw because it was in the DMs.
1: (laughs) And if you think about um, how silent kids can be with bullying, sometimes that is exasperated on social media. Um, Because when we were in school or, or we're face to face and I choose to be silent, there are, um, other uh, bystanders who may see it and say something. But sometimes that social media is through a DM. It's through um, a snap that just went to you. It's in a place where you don't necessarily have the bystanders to even stand up and support you as the victim as you do in person sometimes. So that, that silent um, bullying that kids carry because they don't know how to express to someone, I need help. It's huge. It's huge. And, and I'm not saying that social media is not important. I believe that it's a tool that we can utilize in so many different ways. But I think like any other tool, it can be misused. And then, then it's not as useful as we need it to be.
0: Oh, yeah. And like when you're talking about um, you know, conflict resolution, you're talking about the dialogue that you ha- that happens in, in restorative practice or just, just in, in general, if you're just making relationships with students, a lot of times like the big, like if you had a big disruption, like a, a for lack of a better, like a big, a big blow up between two students, the dialogue that comes out afterwards when, when you're kind of debriefing and walking through it, almost always that it started from something that nobody saw because it was you know, on Snapchat or whatever. It's, um, That being said, how how, how can we help them?
1: I really think it's about um, education. And I know our um, social emotional learning curriculum here in Fayette County, we actually have a tier one social emotional learning curriculum that is K-12. So uh, schools actually take the opportunity to build in addressing our SEL needs for our students. And one of those key topics is how to utilize social media effectively when you get to the higher grades. We do need to go down to lower grades now, though, because they're getting social media and being exposed to it younger and younger these days. Um, but another key way that we can really look at is using the tools within our school programs, such as our, uh, our media. Center. So our libraries, how are we using our digital safety when we talk about our technology team and our um, instructional specialists that really focus on that digital aspect of the education system? The, looking into things like uh, the citizenship, there's a whole slew that our media specialists or librarians, if you're using the old term, have access to that can help our kids to understand about um fake news versus real stories versus deciphering whether or not it's a deep fake when you're looking at pictures and things on social media. And then even digging deeper into how the use of social media can affect the way that you look and think about yourself. So digging into some of that self-esteem stuff, when you're looking at these pictures of models, when you're looking at these pictures that people are putting out that their life is just so happy and it's making you feel like I don't have that. All of that is wrapped into our instruction for students that really helps them to self-reflect on how they are utilizing um, social media. But I will tell you, Jordan, it's a change of thinking on the school and the parent end. We are so used to school being reading class, math class, social studies. Let's throw some science in there. And we have to get to this idea that a part of our instruction has to include these topics. However you're choosing to embed them, whether that's through your social studies um, class or whether that's through your English class, that's fine. But we have to understand that just like we have that core curriculum from academics, there is a set of core expectations within social emotional learning that every student should have access to that helps them to address that educational component around things like social media.
0: So one of the components of, of good teaching is, is, is tying your content to the real world and well, a well, thing that's come up a few times is, is PBL, um, which this is not necessarily that, but it can be that. But the idea that like you can use these things as examples to en- enrich your content and, and make it relevant for your kids that's, that's going to help them to focus when they're going to be you pay attention because they, they have to deal with this and they know it's a thing. So now you've made it relevant for them. So if you can make, you can tie it into how you're, how you're teaching writing or how you're teaching them how to um, look through sources and those kind of things. And then there's all sorts of stuff. You can do social studies and, and science. When you talked about like the um, kind of how um, the, the, the pictures that aren't real pictures, like.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and when you really, when you think about education at its core, For hundreds of years, we've been making sure it matches the kids we're working with at the time. When you're talking back in the way day where we would talk about the harvest and growing vegetables and what that looked like, and you would actually make your school year fit around when we were going to be planting and harvesting. That is teaching to who you are working with. And I just had a teacher point out to me yesterday that they were using, this is high school, so don't forget, the new version of the Fresh Prince of Belair to help teach some examples about um, discrimination and working through collaborative issues or when you have an issue with someone of a different racial ethnicity. And I just thought that was so cool of how, as a teacher, you can take something that you already know the kids are connected to and make it apply to what you're already doing in class. To me, that is how you continue to keep students engaged. And, and that is how they get to the core content standards that they need. It's not always through open up to page 56 and let's read this paragraph. It's It really is about utilizing our here and now, um, what's happening in the world, current events and current uh, medias to engage our kids in these types of conversations and learning. It's so cool. When she told me that and she was explaining to me, like, it's just so cool to think about what you can do.
0: That, that's an excellent idea. And the, it, it may not be like the current day, but like the old episodes are pretty good too. Like, you Yeah, can they are.
1: <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. Hey guys, it's
0: Jordan from Live School. i want to take a quick break to share a story about one of our partner schools, Del Valley Elementary in Del Valley, Texas. When Principal Jay Maines arrived at Del Valle, he realized behavior was a major concern for his staff as his school of just 600 students tallied 276 referrals and 88 instances of exclusionary discipline in just one year. The next year, his leadership and behavior teams began examining all their systems and policies related to behavior. And in that following year, they found and implemented live school across the entire building. Now, fast forward three years later, and they have reduced referrals by 82% reduced those exclusionary discipline practices by 93%, and they are consistently celebrating the kiddos who are doing a great job in their building to the tune of 42,000 positive behavior interactions recorded last year. If you'd like to learn how to improve student behavior and culture in your school, check us out at wildlifeschool.com. Okay, so before the break, we were talking about Uh, Student support. I want to kind of shift to school support. Um, So like your role at the district level, like you're you're working with schools, working with school leaders. Um, How can now I want to talk a little bit about like at a school leadership level, how can administrators who are in buildings better support teachers with student behavior concerns?
1: Um, The first thing I'm going to take us back to is the same thing we talked about with kids listening. I think it's really important for school administrators to build positive relationships with their teachers because they're modeling the expectation for teachers to build positive relationships with their kids. When you build those positive relationships in your listener, you start to understand how teachers got to the place that they are in terms of their belief systems around their classrooms. And most of behavior management starts with your belief system as a classroom teacher. And and that can go back to from how you set up your class, you know, teachers who like assign seats um, to teachers who stand at the door and greet their kids, to teachers who feel like you should just come in and sit and work. I say that because having been a coach of teachers around behavior support, one of the things that I think is important for you is for you not to go in with a cookie cutter solution for every teacher. There are ways to support teachers who believe that students should just sit in their desk and do what what they need to do and not be um, in my face. There's a way for you to support that teacher that may be a little bit different than the teacher who feels like kids, this is just uh, every kid can come in here and just float and love the way they love and it's just gonna be a free flowing classroom. There's a way for you to support that teacher. All of those strategies live for me within the framework of how are you positively reinforcing your students? And I don't mean with things. I mean with words like positive affirmations, positive interactions. How are you giving students an opportunity to respond? So what are you offering in terms of engagement within your classroom? How are you addressing the expectations? Are have they been clearly defined? But then how are you addressing students when they are not following those expectations? And then the last piece of that for me is how are you reflecting on your own practices as a teacher to then help you alter based off of the kids that are in your room at that time? And what I mean by that is you were a high school teacher. My first period. Doesn't necessarily look the same as my third period. And so how are you using those reflective techniques to determine how you need to alter your instruction for the kids who are before you? And on top of that, as an administrator, I then have to do the same thing as I support my teachers. So if I pull that back, I might say, okay, for my teachers, how am I positive reinforcing them on a regular basis? Not just with things, but with words, with interactions. How, are, how am I allowing them opportunities to respond? And that could be me allowing them to give feedback or ideas or collaborate or make decisions. How am I setting clear expectations of what I expect from my teachers? And when a teacher does not do that, how am I addressing that head on and not using the method where I, I just don't say anything because you know I don't wanna make them mad, but I'm addressing it head on. And then how am I as an administrator reflective of my different teachers and i worked in elementary let me tell you that third grade team a little bit different than that fifth grade team a little bit different than that kindergarten team and so how am i using my reflective practices to determine how i need to alter how i'm working with my teachers in order to make sure they have what they need you know that old saying happy wife happy life jordan if you don't have happy teachers then I'm going to tell you right now, your school is not going to be in a place where it's producing happy families, happy kids, happy anything. The cafeteria going to be mad. And so it's really important as a leader when you're supporting teachers to keep in mind that you are modeling for them. You are modeling for them what you how you expect them for them to treat children. And so I think as an administrator, those are the ways I support the teachers who have behavior concerns. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to positively reinforce you. I'm going to clear expectations for how we're going to fix this behavior problem. And I'm going to hold you accountable because I love you enough to do that, to make sure that we can get this done together.
0: So there's a a few bits of gold there that I want to go a little deeper on. The first one was was listening. And you talked about how there's different types of teachers and they have different, you know, they have some different classroom expectations. And like, that's part of what makes them a good teacher is they've got to make those expectations in the room themselves and they got to make it fit their kids and make fit their content and those kind of things. It also means like when they have a concern, you need to understand where they're coming from. And all that information is part of it.
1: You are exactly right. And, And when we shut ourselves off as good listeners, we're shutting off an opportunity for someone to be their own problem solver. Because sometimes if you just listen long enough, They're going to think their way out of what they came to you for to begin with. And i found as a leader, a lot of times if I just ask, you know, say, well, tell me more about that. Well, what do you think? How can I support? You're going to find that people appreciate you not fixing it for them, but being that sounding board that helps them think through ways they can fix it. And that includes with behaviors with students.
0: The um, And anytime you can help them do that, help, help them kind of come to conclusions and, and come to you know solutions on their own. You also like keep the power in the classroom. And that, you know, what I'm saying like you don't anytime you're just you're just dealing with it. You're kind of stripping them what they what they're capable of doing.
1: Yes. Yes. I used to say all the time I was a um, behavior coach at an elementary school for years. And one of the things that I would say to teachers is I, I can't be the queen of your classroom. Right. So if you're scaring kids with me, you've already lost that, that throne in your classroom because now I come in and control your classroom. And, and it can't be that way for teachers. That classroom has to be where they have built a community of collaboration and love and learning. And at the end of the day, the kids look to them to be the person that leads the way in that classroom. I, if I'm leading the way at the school, you got to help me by leading the way of your classroom.
0: Yeah, I used to tell my teacher colleagues, like, I'm not that scary of a guy. I'm pretty soft spoken, so probably don't use me that way.
1: Uh, they used to get mad because I'm the hugger, right? The kid's going to run out and give me a hug. And then you I really didn't do what you expected me to do at that point.
0: <laughs> so kind of same question, but uh, different individuals. How can uh, districts better support school leaders who are struggling with student behavior in the classroom?
1: So um, in my roles within leadership here at the district, um, it's a really interesting space when you're trying to help administrators or leaders in the school get out of their own way. And what I mean by that is by the time they get to me, they feel like they have tried everything. I've done it all. I did everything I could possibly do. And so if you start asking questions and they start realizing maybe they didn't do anything, then they get defensive. (laughs) And that that shuts down the conversation. So as a district leader, what I really try to do in my support of leaders is once again, be a good listener. I have this strategy where I actually start to kind of write out all the things. And you say, I've done all the things. Okay, So tell me what all the things are so that I'm really understanding the process that they've gone through regarding the behavior before I make any recommendations. And when I start to look at that support, and Jordan, you've experienced this, this is now going to turn into a shoulder partner where we're sitting down together to write the next step of whatever it is. So we've looked at what you've already done. We determined the next step together, whether that's filling out an application for an alternative placement, whether that is setting up a parent meeting so that um, we can have a conversation together with the parent, whatever that next step is, we determine it together and then we work through what it's going to look like together. So by the time I walk out of support with the principal, they have an action step it is very important for me and my district team and my team knows this that you are producing actionable items you never walk out this is this is my to-do list jordan you don't ever walk out with the empty page after you've met with the principal to support them there is something that there's they're gonna do but most importantly there is something that you're going to do Oh, you need me to look up all their, their grades for the last four years. I'm going to do that while you call mom and schedule the meeting or, Oh, you need me to type up, um, All of the strategies that have been used in a cute little Canva document while you talk to the teacher about what we're going to do next, then that we support means we are both leaving this conversation with something to do next. Because that's how you see I am here to help you, not to dictate to you. This is what you have to do.
0: So I I want to draw a line through most of our conversation um, because that, that's, you know, that collaborative process, we talked about restorative practices with, you know, a, a behavior incident where you're talking the kid through, you know, coming through a solution together with that's best for all involved. Same thing when you're talking with the teacher, you want to kind of work with them to find a solution that then they can act on same thing here with the, with the principal. You don't want to just you know, tell them, here's what you got to do. You want to work with them. So you both have. Um, a solution together. So that, that's kind of a, a through line through all of that because it sort of works it's in the
1: common area. theme. It's a common theme. And it, it really goes back to what would you, how would you want somebody to treat you if you were in that situation? What kind of support would you want to have? And where does buy-in come from? It certainly doesn't come from you telling me all the things I have to do. <laughs> Cause I'm gonna tell you right now, boots on the ground are gonna have a way better viewpoint of what is possible than me sitting here at district office. Like you at your school are going to be able to say to me, you know what? Tuesday meetings here really don't work because of X, Y, and Z. You're going to have a better picture of that as the leader of that school. And that's my job to help you with what you need, not to dictate what you have to do.
0: And another note on making those conversations easier is that's not the only time a conversation like that's happening because you do the, the nature of your job and that student support and the sharing of resources and um, kind of leading dis, uh, behavior initiatives across all schools. You have conversations with school leaders in all those schools. So like there's a, there's a rapport built there through that and a sharing of resources.
1: And that goes back to the very first thing we talked about relationship building within that, like the, how that restorative of practice model builds out relationships. It's very important for me um, to know all of the administrators names, to know what buildings they work at, to know if there's been a little, a nuance of an issue at that building to be able to say, oh, you know, I heard the audit team is here today. Just wanted to make sure, how are you doing? But to be able to build that rapport and relationship with administrators, you said it before, The next time you have to have that conversation, it's easier because they know that you're not just there to be the hammer. You're actually there to be a support and you care about them and their school genuinely, because ultimately we're all Fayette County public schools. And if one person or one school is not successful, that's a reflection of all of us. And it 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 may
0: sound like silly or counterintuitive, but like the conversation being easier actually will probably impact the outcome. Yes.
1: Yes. It really does. It really it increases the likelihood of positive outcomes when that conversation flows a little easier.
0: Yeah. And and when we talk, when we say outcome in this scenario, because you're talking, you're talking to a school leader, probably about a student, you're talking about an outcome that's going to be a big deal for that student's life. So every everybody, everybody be on the same page is a big deal. Um I always like to tie things back to school culture because like the show is we're, we're dedicated to school culture. Sometimes we talk about behavior. We talk a lot about behavior today, but it's not always just that. But I want to tie this back. So as far as improving school culture and, and normally we talk school level leaders and commonalities, you know, what, what what does positive culture look like to them? What are they looking for? How can you create that within your building or classroom? What role can district leadership play in ensuring a positive culture for the, all the schools in their district?
1: Positive culture and climate comes from a community that feels supported and listened to. What it, it doesn't matter, I found in my work in creating a positive culture from a district standpoint, if we agree or not. It doesn't matter if I ultimately give you what you want. When we are able to have a space where you feel heard, where you feel valued, And when you genuinely feel someone wants to help you, that is how the district helps to improve school culture at every level. Even when I have to say to people, this is something I learned a long time ago, I never say no. When you ask me for something, I may say, I can't do that, but this is what I can do. That builds a positive culture from the district standpoint there are, of course, rules, regulations, policies, protocols. From my seat, I have to make sure all of that is intact. And so there are times where you have asked me for something that I simply cannot do. But as a leader, it is upon me to think creatively about how I can help you. I cannot take this kid who you feel has been terrible in your building and just move them to a different school tomorrow. But I can have someone come or come myself, help you think through a plan, connect the family with outside resources, provide a paraeducator, educator, look at shortened school day, think through ways that we can build better relationships with the teachers for this student. Those are all things I can do. And so when I am trying to build that positive culture from the district, it is my belief that it is upon us to make sure schools understand that we are here to genuinely be a support and that to me is how you increase your positive culture in any environment you be there for people
0: that that's that's an absolutely fantastic answer the you know you're you're there to provide support that that's that's what that's what you're for and districts all across the country like that's not always um, and I think a lot of people are trying to do do a good job and I'm not saying they're not, but a lot of times there's like a stereotype that it's just kind of like a different place. You know what I mean?
1: I know they call us the, uh, crystal castle or whatever it is they call us. I know.
0: But that open door policy, that, that willingness to help, those are the kind of things that make that not, not real. You know what I mean?
1: If you don't get anything else from me, you're going to get a response. You may not like my response but I'm going to respond to you.
0: <laughs> well, DD, thank you so much. This has been um, kind of a wealth of information that I think our listeners are going to enjoy. If anybody wanted to reach out to you and get more info on any of the great work you're doing, um, how could they find you?
1: My email. I don't answer my my phone at work. Don't call there. Um, In fact, my voicemail says email me because I'm not going to get this message. Um, It dot newburn n-e-w-b-e-r-n at fayette.kyschools.us. I respond to email. I welcome collaboration. And Jordan, you know me, I love to help people. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, My goal has always been if I leave this world and I've only helped one person, that's one person who needed Didi to be here. So that's who I'm here for. The one person who just needed to reach out for something. I got you.
0: Well, Didi, you you certainly helped me a number of times. So like mission accomplished. Um, I will put... um, Uh, Didi's email in the show notes. So if anybody wants to reach out to her, that'd be great. Um, But thank you guys. And we'll be back next week.
1: The Flywheel Effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself.